down there for probably, I don't know, the average was like 80 bucks a day because it's off season, but it was right, like literally right on the beach. So yeah. So sunrise was fantastic because, you know, sun comes up every morning, right in the water. Uh, it was great. We work all day and then head down, walk the beach and, and do our thing. It was, it was fantastic. Good for you, man. Yeah, I do, but that's not to knock Tahoe. I'm a big fan of Tahoe. No, no, that's different. Apples and oranges for sure. Are are you a summer or winter Tahoe guy? We're more summer, but a little bit of both. Yeah, but more summer. Yeah, we bet we, you know, we toyed with the idea early on of should we get a house in Tahoe and then find a winter person and we'll just be the summer people and maybe we can split it. So, yeah, Uh, it was pre pandemic, it was a lot easier to even entertain that discussion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now there's nothing. Now I don't know what we're doing. No, it's ridiculous. All right, man. You ready to do this, Mike? Let's go. All right, let's go. Welcome to the CXR channel, our premier podcast for talent acquisition and talent management. Listen in as the CXR community discusses a wide range of topics focused on attracting, engaging, and retaining the best talent. We're glad you're here. everybody you have found yourself watching or listening to another edition of the cxr recruiting community podcast uh, now weekly uh, we do our best to come together with recruiting industry leaders these are practitioners analysts even personalities uh, to talk about kind of what's going on in their space what's top of mind for them and just to catch up live if you are with us live today uh, and you're dialed in maybe through linkedin youtube or facebook or even twitter uh, drop a hello in the chat let us know that this thing's working uh, and that it's on. And then through the course of uh, of the chat that we have, the interview we've got going on, uh, you can throw your own profile link if you'd like to in there. We'll be sure to follow you back. You can ask a question uh, or add a comment for consideration, and we'll see if we can include you in the show, even send you a call out. Uh, so today, uh, we'll jump right in. Our guest is Mike Fitzsimmons. Now, Mike is the founder uh, and the CEO of Crosscheck. Mike, I want to go ahead and welcome you to the show. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining. So look, Mike, uh, for those who don't know you, why don't you give us a quick sort of an escalator pitch about uh, who is Mike and why do we care what Mike has to say? (laughs) Uh, Well, as you mentioned, I I am the CEO of Crosscheck, which is a talent analytics uh, platform that's kind of been built to help talent teams optimize quality of hire and workflows and things of that nature. So I have the the luxury of having an inside view into what's happening, and uh, we have over 450 customers now. And so, with, with the very nature of what we do, being so close to data and analytics, and having such a wide variety of customers that use our platform, I think we have some insights that are interesting to share. Um, I, I don't know how interesting it will be, but I think that's <laughs> why, you, why you invited me to participate. No, we're glad, John. I mean, you know, sort of the top and we can go anywhere you want. We don't even have to stay on topic if you don't want to. Uh, yeah. We've got five listeners. They they typically dial in. We're excited to have them on. Uh, but if you if you want to talk about whatever you want to talk about, we can. But I think what we said we were going to chat about was sort of as as the hiring starts to slow down for some, uh, it might be time to sort of reevaluate talent pipelines. And when we say reevaluate talent pipelines, let, like let's level set, right? So what what does what's talent pipelines? What's the reevaluation of that mean to you, Mike? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I I would um, 
I was going to put that back to you too to get your, your <laughs> definition of how you define talent pipelines. You know, I think I think there are and there's so many ways to cut this because the source of our talent pipelines, which is where it all starts, tends to be such uh, send, sends our talent down so many different divergent paths uh, as they enter into our quote unquote our quote unquote pipeline. Um, but the I think this the notion of kind of how we are reassessing our talent pipelines to me is you know when we have made a hiring decision everybody that we did not hire what happened to those to that cohort of people right mm -hmm. and so i thought i think that was part of what we were we were going to explore but i want to flip it back to you in terms of definitionally for you how, how do you think about it i think it's a fair question uh and I, I love when you kick it back thanks for that uh i think <laughs> i think what we're looking at is Historically, for me, from the recruiting side of the equation, I think of pipeline on the on the application side. So if I've got 100 people uh, that, that apply, right, and I'm going to hire one, I've got I've got 100 people in my pipeline, but ultimately I've got 99 that either I declined or that or that by and large, a large portion of them didn't do anything with. Right. I might have just kind of looked at them or I may have never even seen them. So when we say pipeline to me, I'm thinking about all the people that were a candidate or of interest for, for a particular job. That's sort of that's sort of where my head goes as, as a former recruiter. Yeah, for sure. So I, I do I do think part of the level setting and the benchmarking on this is is really challenging ourselves to look back. On using your hundred to one example on you know, how we, how we deselected the 99, right? Like what actually went into that process? I think part of what is so fascinating about the shift that we're seeing with our, our companies is that to your point, they are reevaluating their selection processes because over the last couple of years, sort of with all due respect, our company's guards have, have come down quite a bit in their talent selection processes. And we've gotten a little bit a little bit sloppy um, because we've had such high pressures to fill butts and seats. That just has been the reality. And it's been the reality across all types of, of job roles and job types. So there is something changing uh, for sure and how we're getting more diligent in the in that assessment process. I, it was interesting. I, I was asking the question earlier a little bit because the source of the source of our pipelines does factor into this. Um, but the other things that factor into this is all the other stuff we knew about these candidates when we deselected them or selected them. And mm -hmm. some of the data that we have we have flowing through our engine is telling you some pretty alarming things about our selection processes. You know, so we have data that is now showing us that interview scores, we did a we did a study with Greenhouse on the correlation of interview scores uh, to quality of hire and found that there was only a 9% correlation of interview scores to quality of hire. So now you're sitting here saying to yourself, gosh, I, I put this candidate through X many interviews, but the reality was that only one out of 10 of those at the end of the day, you know, ultimately was in any way, shape or form predictive. So there's those kinds of things where we have to challenge ourselves and say, gosh, you know, we have these massive turnover rates, right? We have 46% of our new hires not crossing over to ROI productivity. We know that our interview processes are actually not helping us dictate and guide us to higher quality hires. How the heck can we do this differently, right? Well, and I, so I sort of struggle when we start talking I, Q of H, right? The, the holy grail, if not time to fill, if not how many recs should my recruiters have? 
the holy grail of talent acquisition. Uh, I think there's a struggle in measuring that because I think that that metric is not just elusive. It's near, it's almost near impossible to standardize. So my quality of hire, right, at CXR might be very different than your quality of hire at Crosscheck, right? How, do, I mean, do you, do you take that into account somehow? Are there are there levels, levers and knobs that get pulled and shifted and, and, and turned differently at every organization for that? Yeah, for sure. And there is a challenge. There's a statistical significance challenge with any data that you need enough of it to have it be a reliable metric. And so for smaller organizations like yourselves or even, frankly, our company, uh, at our scale of, of only you know uh, around 100 employees, it's less. It's, it's it's harder to get enough data into the machine to have it be a reliable metric. But for larger enterprise organizations, that's exactly what 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 they're doing, and they have enough data where the machine learning and that all that stuff can start to to kick in and, and matter. It's certainly the metric and how you calculate the metric. What we have learned over time. It's not just what the off the shelf, if you do the Google search on it, you'll probably read that it's 50% performance, 50% tenure, and you put those in, and that's the number. And it, it's yep. that's, total, that's total BS, and that's not an adequate way to look at it. Um, there are other things that matter, like time to productivity, culture and engagement. There's all these other components, but they also vary pretty dramatically by the job type. You know, If you're an ER doctor, it's going to be different than if you're a Starbucks barista in terms of your QOH, right? Expectations. I hope so. <laughs> well, you should, right? So you're right on. And so that's why it does, it is a more applicable metric for, you know, more mid-market enterprise companies that just have more data in their machine, but it can, it, there's some great signal in it for smaller companies. I mean, we have a, a, a light version of that product, which is looking at simple things like rehirability, especially for recruiters and talent acquisition. There's some, you know, really simple data and studies we've done that that's a, that is a, you know, just a dead simple survey, go out 9180 post hire, would you rehire Chris, right? As a signal into the machine, that's at least, yeah. it, it's at least greater than what we're getting today, which is basically zero in most companies. Well, and so Mike, so that raises an interesting topic. So we're talking about, um, we're talking about, a, you know, looking at that talent pipeline and even considering quality of hire on the front end of the, of the process, right? But there's also an element of that pipeline for the folks we have already hired and how, how we treat or assess that pipeline uh, for folks that are already on board, right? Yeah, it's the same math, right? And it's a, from an internal mobility perspective and and it, it really truly is. Um, and it's, it, it is just amazing though on how much we think we know about talent before we bring them into our companies versus how much we actually know. You know and then you think about just the challenge and the lack of continuity and, and how that actually leads into it's always amazing to me around so many companies don't even do sort of 360s on their entire talent pool and they don't even do them until potentially 12, 18, 24 months. Or you have to be an enterprise customer that you can't even qualify for a 360 unless you've had over 10 direct reports. Yeah. Right. And the, yeah. Because it's got to be a secret. It's got to be secret. What are we talking about here? Like the more, the better. Right. Like we all need to know this stuff. So, so, so there's a lot there. So, Mike, what do you think? What do you think the biggest sort of missed opportunity might be when we're talking about? And you can do it for the the currently employed talent pipeline, or you can do it for the folks who've missed talent pipeline. But what do you think the biggest missed opportunity from a pipeline assessment or pipeline management standpoint is? I think it's really understanding your own data, I, and I don't blame. I, I just 
I, I really am I'm so not in the business of of blaming anyone. It is complicated. The average org now has, I think, 11 different pieces of software in their talent acquisition software stack alone, right? So in all likelihood, they're using an ATS and some CRM, and they're using maybe some interview scheduling software, some assessment tool, some who the heck knows, right? So there is a lot of moving pieces and getting all of that data into a place where you can make any sense of it is really challenging. That's just on the front end assessment piece. The other piece of the puzzle though, <clears throat> is what happens post hire. And in many organizations, you have a similar situation where they have an HRIS that has maybe data about tenure and compensation, and then a performance management system that maybe they only run performance reviews every 12 months. And so a new hire has been there for six months and you've got no data feeding back. There's just a lot there where I think mm -hmm. the, the first thing you have to get your hands wrapped around is baselining all of this. It's, it's just got to get, you have to have a place to start and a source of truth to start. And I think that's where we have done a disservice to our talent leaders is by simply not providing adequate tools and visibility right into um, what's actually happening in their organization, right? So they're they're blind blind. I think that's that's phase one. And once you've done that, a lot of magic starts to happen, you know, in terms of being able to optimize your selection process and how you're assessing those those pools and and frankly, even being able to go back into the folks that you didn't hire from your pool and figure out, gosh, who did you miss? I mean, we're we're starting to look at getting data into our system that is tracking your non-hires. Uh, we had a, a large consulting company who challenged us on this, and there, you know, these are these, these this this firm. It's one of the top three. Is primarily hiring, you know, MBAs, that sort of thing. But the ones that got away, they wanted to know about. So they wanted us to start feeding data in on, hey, Chris didn't take the job at Bain. Chris went to Deloitte, yeah. KPMG, and did Chris make manager by year three? They wanted that data fed back in their system so they could now tag Chris as, gosh, we missed him. You know, what attributes of Chris did we miss? How do we miss that decision? So there's just some really cool things like that too, that I think the data will start to help us all get a little, you know, a little more more educated around ultimately, right? What's important to, to and what's what's predictive about making the hiring decision. Well, well, and I like, Mike, I like the reference to sort of setting, if, if it's not from a people intelligence or talent intelligence standpoint, sort of setting a baseline, right? And, and establishing that. Do you think, um, <laughs> do you think, that uh facebook had established maybe a baseline <laughs> for that given today's announcement i won't call i'm not going to call them meta i'm just i'm going to keep calling them facebook but yeah no i like i was reading that article this morning and the quote about their vp of remote presence and the quote was he had instructed his managers to identify people on their teams who need support in quotes by end of day monday and told their managers to exit poor performers who were unable to get on track and i was sitting here saying to myself of you know, every company in the world is going through some version of this right now. I shouldn't say every company, but so many companies are going through some version of this. And I, uh, regrettably, we, we have so much data in our system and we have so many of our companies that are going through similar things. We actually can kind of see what's the quality of the people they're letting go versus the quality of the people they're keeping. And oftentimes there's tremendous recency bias. Like if you think about that note to that manager, you know, yeah. the manager like, hey, you Chris just kind of, you know, Chris and I had a little moment yesterday. It wasn't our best day. Chris is now lower on my list. There's He's not out. Like any science to this. He's thing, out. Right? Screw that guy. <laughs> you know, screw him. Right. But it is, I hate to say it, it is human. That's that's an oftentimes what happens. And we have one really, you know, enterprise client who went through one of these, and our data showed us that that the people they let go were 18%, um, were 18% uh, higher quality than the people they had kept. 
and we like when we shared this data like oh my god and i and the chro said to me he said please don't share this with our ceo like just please don't you know and i'm like i'm not going to that's not my job but just please don't <laughs> we got to get this right you know and it's real it's a it's a it's a blind spot for our organization so well look okay so on the note of sharing uh in the green room we have mr crispin in the green room and i think he he feels pretty um pretty uh passionately i don't know the word for it jerry pretty passionately about transparency jerry let me bring you in here there you go there he is so so jerry talk to talk to us a little bit about who who should get information shared with them and, and maybe who shouldn't what's going on there you got a point of view it's muted but you got one <laughs> There's my mute button. There he is. It was hiding. My mute button was hiding. No, we talk so much about what we need to tell each other as employers to learn how we could assess better and, and support better and do all that shit. But how about giving the account, part of this accountability to the person themselves if we shared fully that same kind of data? So... So the point is we're 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 still dealing with paternal approaches or maternal approaches, however you want to deal with it, um, to how we develop people, how we make decisions about people independent of them being involved. Mm -hmm. um, we don't we don't show them anything. And and part of it is because we have shitty data. So I mean, part of it is we didn't do a good job in in understanding what it is we were measuring in the first place but but even if we did we often hold that data at a very high level and never share that with the individuals because they're going to get upset well Jerry, yeah. don't just don't tell the boss don't tell don't the tell boss, boss. <laughs> you know but tell maybe tell the subordinates they know yeah you know we now have laws for example that allow allow um candidates to tell each other about how much money they're making or employees how much money they're making for example we were we were that bad at it that we said you know if you share that kind of information that's a firing offense mm -hmm. so just think about how much employees and candidates don't know and as a result decisions definitely are are a problem in terms of predicting success yeah. So, well, Mike, Mike, let me ask you, um, it's a good point, Jared, but Mike, let me ask you, who who do you think's doing it, that pipeline care or pipeline assessment? Who, who do you think's doing that well? And if it's nobody, that's fine, too. No, no, no. There are, there are, <laughs> no I'll tell you, I, I mean, I just think this is sort of a got to be a local response because I don't know outside of our customers. Right. So. I'll tell you one customer in particular of ours, enterprise company, Fortune kind of one one fifty, um, and they had historically been this incredibly assessment heavy organization. They literally had five assessments in their in their selection process, mm -hmm. and so I think there was eight interviews required. And their CEO of this company, and it was a massive company, had to sign off on every job rec, right? So the talent acquisition team had to go and the way they convinced him to no longer have to sign off and be a bottleneck on every job rack was we had to demonstrate that they could maintain the quality of hire without him signing off on every job rack. 
Well, through that experience, not only did we realize that of their several assessments, two of them were actually a horrific candidate experience, but had no correlation whatsoever to quality mm -hmm. of hire, right? One of them is one I will not mention, but we all know it um, by name and they've been using it for over a decade. So I think that I would argue that based on the data and based on what their their last couple of quarters have looked like relative to where they were before, they're doing as good a job as I've seen any organization do. But it came through a process of understanding in that selection process, really using data to understand what are good signals, what are not good signals, you know, other things that learning, you know, our interview panels. It's so unfair what we do with our interview panels. The average person on an interview panel does less than three interviews a year, hmm. right? If you think it's, so you got your hiring manager that maybe is doing more, but then you say, hey, Chris, get Jerry to talk to Mike also to see if he's going to be good for the manager role. And, Jay, and Jerry's floating in there and we know how this all looks. And he's not, you know, this is not what he does for a living, but you're expecting him to give you something that you rely on really heavily. So yeah. anyway, I just do think when you think of the cocktail that needs to go come together to make good decisions, you really have to be, you know, you got to be pretty disciplined and use your data to help you understand what's working for you. So um, I think it's a great point. I, I think the, the <laughs> fact that so many hiring managers have so few times in which they are doing that um that that fundamentally they lose sight of all the learning that they went through to do a proper sure. interview so that just that just well, they watch, the, they watch the that's why you get that nine percent i mean you know, it's going the video to be certified that you know and that made them the expert to be able to do the interview but but that's one of the reasons why i love what davida was doing with um forcing all of the hiring managers who went through training if you will to for a period of time six months to a year be assigned to panels so that regardless of whether they had an opening or not and and that they had an io psych psychologist on the panel who didn't didn't deal with the candidate but dealt with observing the hiring managers who have been mm -hmm. trained to see whether or not they're using the training as opposed to reverting uh to some biased approach yeah. And and essentially certifying over time that they've learned and can now use the tools that they learned. And I find that fascinating. And why why isn't everybody doing stuff like that? Uh, the answer to that a little bit, Chris, is where we started this. We put so much pressure on our recruiters over the last and our hiring managers to fill just to fill seats quickly. And we really have created a a, a very challenging you know, uh, environment. Well, my, Mike, you, I think you nailed it. Like we've talked to a couple of leaders. I just had a conversation with a leader uh, maybe two weeks ago who said they're hiring people into these senior roles who, who they would never have otherwise considered putting in a senior role <clears throat> because they just weren't ready yet. But there was no other option. They're, they're running 4X to plan, you know, the original plan. They're trying to fill it. So the standards slip a little bit. Right. The processes get shortcutted because it, we're in such a big hurry. But now, you know, we're now we're looking down the barrel and it seems like we're pumping the brakes on, like, you know, a lot of us, a lot of the organizations are pumping the brakes on hiring and, they, and they're not really sure what to do. And I, I think you raise a really good point of reevaluating what's in that talent pipeline, not just for who we bring in, but also for who we let go of. I think that's huge. If we don't have anything, you're right. It's like I think Jerry said earlier, Jet, it was like flipping a coin. 
And then to your point too, we're just we're just shooting blind. Like, did, does Meta have that in place? Does Facebook have that in place? Or are they just saying, well, you know, who who did I get along with this week? And you got to go, and you can stay. And you go. <laughs> it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah So let me ask you. Um, let me ask you, Mike. So if if you're gonna write, uh, if you were gonna write a book, this is a new question we like to ask. If you're gonna write a book about. Um, this topic, right? What, what's going on in this space and pipeline management? What What would the title of your book be? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, <laughs> and, and I really am, I have to tell you, when we when we started the company, I had one of our little slogans was no bad hires. You can actually see it on this. I've got a vintage shirt on right now that um, has the logo on the sleeve. But, uh, you know, we've evolved a lot as we understand it's not just it's not a no bad hire game, right? It's a, we got to get the right people in the right place to make the right plays to win. But I do think that I would steal a quote from, um, I think it was Bill Belichick, which was, you, you can't win unless you keep from losing. And I, I do think it's an important one. I think in this world, we still have a 46% fail rate in our hiring decisions in our companies, right? Interesting. Full stop. That's the number. And I still think it's a challenge that we don't take that seriously enough. There's not a line item on our PLs for it, right? We don't have someone who owns that metric in terms of, but if you do the math, however you cut it, it's gonna be a multi-billion dollar problem that I've, I kind of refer to as the carbon monoxide in our organizations. It's certainly not helping, you know? And so anyway, I do think there's something in that range that might not be the perfect title, but it's something close to that of you can't win unless you keep from losing. All right. And do you have to do the whole, doesn't he do like the, the Belichick? <laughs> well, okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You've written the book. Who gets the first signed copy? Who gets the first signed? Who are you going to give the first signed copy of that book to? You know, I have this gentleman named Casey. I'll leave his last name out. And he was the first candidate that went through our cross-check system from our largest customer at the time. And I still have his picture up on my board because I was just anyway, hoping that his process was seamless and his candidate experience was seamless. And I don't think I would give it to Casey. Um, so he'd get the first time copy because without, without his, him having a successful, uh, in our beta period of cross check, I'm, 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 who knows what, what, what would have happened for us. Oh my God. I love it. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. All right, Mike, I want to thank you so much for giving us some hangout in the green room a little bit. We'll chat here at the end while I tell everybody uh, while I tell everybody what's coming up next. But Mike, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We know you're busy and we're glad you jumped on with us. Awesome. Thank you. Good stuff. All right, everybody, let me pull this up. Here we go. Just just so you know, and I'm going to actually I'll throw the link up on. Let's see if we've got a link for you. There you go. Uh, it's CXR.org slash event. You can see it tomorrow, June 13th, since today is the 12th. Uh, I'm doing a quarterly community update. We obviously do those quarterly uh, to talk about what's been going on within the Career Crossroads community and what's ahead. Uh, we're also hosting a solutions spotlight with Skillset and the co-founder and CEO, Maya Hoover, who will be on uh, with us for that. It's about a 20 or 30 minute. That's a members only piece, just FYI, but where she'll come in and sort of show us what's going on over at Skillset and what we should be paying attention to what's new. Uh, July 14th, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a member and alumni uh, meeting. It is in, The topic is transparency in AI, and you're not going to want to miss it. It's a hot topic. We've been talking about ethics in AI and transparency in AI and tech for a while now. Uh, so this is going to be a good one. If you have ever been a CXR member, that's you, your alumni. So you're welcome to attend that. So reach out to us if you're not already registered on the site. 
current members can get into that too. And then lastly, if you happen to be in the book club that we do, and that is open to everybody in the world, uh, we're closing out the Here For You essay collection. That's that second meeting again. That's on July 15th. So with that, I'm going to close us out. I want to thank everybody for joining us and we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the CXR channel. Please subscribe to CXR on your favorite podcast resource and leave us a review while you're at it. Learn more about CXR at our website, cxr.works, facebook.com and twitter.com slash career crossroads and on Instagram at career X roads. We'll catch you next time. Oh,